people mean when they say that. But in a time where we talk about religion and 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 folks says, well, I'm not I'm I'm not into religion. I want to know Christ. So where religion is seen as bad, outdated or irrelevant, the scriptures really have something different to say about it from the book of James. I think James chose this word specifically because it is so general and at many times can be used to make people believe something that doesn't exist in your life. And so as we get into this text for today, as you know, we got to give the context so that you understand from where James is writing. And, you know, the writer of James is that half brother of the Lord. And we know that 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 he came to faith after the resurrection is something to be said about when your own uh, when your own siblings don't believe uh, who you say you are. Um, and it's not until the change that they see that they believe. And in this particular case, all the miracles wasn't enough. All of his words that astounded and amazed people weren't enough. Um, to have James believe before Jesus died and was resurrected. But we know that all of us sitting here today are a result of the resurrection. We believe because there was a resurrection. So let's not throw James under the bus. He was like us in that now that the resurrection, of course, has happened, we now have the proof and thus we can believe. So James did believe. And we know that that in that also that he he came to leadership in the church in Jerusalem and his book written fairly early was one in which James was concerned about the faith of true believers. He was concerned about your faith being practically lived out, practical Christianity. And early on, as Many of you may know this book had some concerns about it, that they thought that it was this book that was focusing on works for your salvation, but they got it wrong. They didn't quite understand where James was coming from. What James was telling them is that a true faith works, that it actually is in motion, it's in action. And he was trying to help the early church understand that if indeed you have a true saving faith, it will show by what you do and how you live and how you work. And it was more than just saying that I'm spiritual, that I'm someone that's religious. I believe in God. I believe there's a higher being. That's what we hear today. I believe that there's a God somewhere. And what James was telling all of those that he was writing to and that would read this later, he said, well, let me explain to you. If indeed you have a true saving faith, it will show in how you work, in how you live, and it will be that gauge for you. Now, we also know that chapter one is a summary of the rest of the book. Everything that's discussed in the rest of James is summarized in chapter one. And so you get a summary of what he's going to talk about, and then he goes into detail of what he's going to talk about. But James is always concerned with people that will work because they have true faith. And so then we see in this particular text, as we narrow it down, that James is now, as you start at verse 19, talking about 
not just do, uh, hearing the word, but doing it. Here's something that I want to really help us to understand. We don't get brownie points for sitting under the hearing of God's word. Have to understand that. You don't get any favor. God, I came to church today. I heard your word. You get no special treatment because you sat in here today and just heard. It is when that word, and that's what James starts to talk about, is, is when the hearing of it matched with a true faith that exists, that it actually turns into doing something in your life. And he says, if hearing doesn't translate into doing, there is something wrong in the connector of hearing and doing. And that connector is the heart. That there is a problem that, that, that if it's coming in through your ears and it never gets into your heart because that which gets into your heart motivates action. You don't believe me? Oh, all the things that you've done first started in your heart. And let me help you out. I know everyone thinks about the good, but I'm also going to the bad. Everything that you've done starts in the heart. Everything that you said was a mistake. It, it, yeah, it might have been a mistake that you thought that way. But you purposefully done it. And so that which entered into my brain and in my ears translated into action, whether for the good or the bad. And what James is saying here as we get into our text, he says, don't just be hearers of the word because it's really doing you no good. Don't be people that accumulate knowledge and that acquire knowledge only. Don't be people that say, I can quote that scripture in that chapter at verse. I know where it's found. I can tell you that. Don't be someone that, that just says, hey, I know that every time someone starts to speak the word. Oh, I heard that. Oh, I know that. But you're not living that. James takes us to that point before he gets to the culmination of it. He says something as if, verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. We're going to get into that deception because he says that if all you're doing is hearing and no doing, you, you are deceiving yourself in what way? Of thinking that you are okay and somehow God is approving of who you are because I heard it. Have you ever been told as a child growing up in your home that you've said something and, and, and you either said it or thought it, depending on the parent, you would respond and say, I heard you. You're right. Either you said it or you thought it, depending on the parent. Because some parents, if you say that too with a little bit too much too, that might be the first and last time you said it. I heard you. I remember the first time that I said that. And I said it gently and nicely. I said, my mom, I said, I said, mom, I heard you. She said, but it didn't change anything you did. So it really looks like you haven't heard me. And so we see here that he says, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. 
for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he has looked like. And we all know what that is. If you have mirrors in your house anywhere, what's the purpose of mirrors? They're not just decorative. The purpose of the mirror is so that at some point in time, as you look and as you cross in front of it, you will see what you look like. And have has anyone ever said to you the phrase is like, dude, like, did you get dressed in the dark? Did you not see yourself before you let go? Do you not have any mirrors in your house? And the issue becomes, look, understand what he is saying here. The word of God reading and not doing is like someone looking in the mirror. And as they look in the mirror, they go, okay. And then they do, they make no changes. But then he says, for he who looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he has looked like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And that is the context for the next two verses. Hearing and doing. Hearing and doing. And now he gets to those who like to call themselves religious. And he doesn't bash the term, he just redefines and he sharpens the focus of the term. Because religious just means devout, pious, someone that has put extreme attention toward what you believe in. It has been used of worship to a God or deity. doesn't have to be the true God. People that were religious worshipped in general. And so it was so general of a term, you could say, I'm religious. I religiously follow that. And we've even used it in our society outside of the church. I religiously go to get coffee at a particular place in the morning. When I, when I, when I was working with a ministry in New York, and I would have religiously what I did. It was a pattern. It was how I worked. I would get off the subway at Times Square, 42nd Street, because that's where our office was on 44th, and I would get off and walk a certain way. You could pattern it because I would want to stop at a particular deli that I wanted there. And that deli, when I walked in, they pretty much knew what I wanted religiously because it was a pattern. I I would walk in and I would ask the guy for a coffee regular. If you're not from New York, you wouldn't know what that meant, but it was a certain amount of Cream and sugar that they put in your coffee. They chose the standard. I accepted it. I liked it. So I would get a coffee regular and a bagel with cream cheese. Today I couldn't do that because the dairy now messes with me. But uh, coffee regular, bagel, cream cheese, and go to my office and sit down in my cubicle and eat. That was my religious actions. And for many of us, that's about all that our religiosity amounts to. Is I just do, there you go, Brother Lee, I just do something over and over. And James takes that term and he said, I'm going to sharpen the focus for you. Have you do you have true religion? Have you got true religion? Here it is. He says, verse 26, if anyone thinks he is religious, devout, pious, going according to a system and a routine of doing things, and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, his religion is worthless. 
understand there are going to be three things, and these are not exhaustive three things. These are three things that James are choosing to highlight that will define what true or good religion is. The first one, it will be, um, it will be the control of the tongue, compassion for the helpless, and you will live contrary to worldly living, or you will avoid worldly living. And so he says, if you want to be considered truly religious in the eyes of the Lord, which is what we're going to look at. And so he starts off and he actually says, understand, the first part of this to have religion that is pure and that is undefiled, really two words that mean the same thing, without blemish, because that's what pure is, if you want to have untainted, he says the first thing you'll have to understand in true religion is that you will control your tongue. Now, let me tell you, that's one of the hardest things to control. As a matter of fact, it is impossible to control unless someone is controlling your heart because your tongue is attached to your heart. Now, I know, um, you know, um, anatomically, I know those in here, you know, doctors and all that, doctor, I know you say the tongue is not attached physically to your heart. I know that's just the passage. The tongue is not attached to your heart. But spiritually, that tongue is attached to the will and the, and the center of emotions. People that say sometimes, I didn't mean to say it. Yes, you did. You just didn't mean to say it out loud. Or how many of us have heard those hot mic conversations that people have had? And they said, they caught me at the bad time. No, they caught you at the right time. You just didn't expect anyone to hear it. Understand what you say comes from inside of you. And people, when they're intoxicated, said, I was intoxicated. I didn't know what I was saying. No, you knew exactly what you were saying. You just didn't have the strength to keep it under because you were intoxicated. And so he says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but here's the deal is what he's saying, is the unbridled tongue for a person that thinks that they are devoutly pious before the Lord, pure and undefiled religion, he says, you are actually deceiving yourself. You're not. He says, that's a test for you. He says, the way you allow the Spirit of God, to work in your life to control what you say and how you say it is a test for you. Not for you to go to your neighbor and say, see, I told you you weren't a Christian. I heard your old dirty mouth. God says, no, that's for you to test yourself. Who you are when no one is looking, when you're in the car by yourself and and you're talking to yourself. Or who you are when, boy, someone presses the, you'll say the wrong buttons, I'll say the right buttons because it shows you who you are. Who you are in those moments shows you where your heart is. Now, it doesn't mean that if I said something wrong at one time or 
over, you know, um, just a few times that somehow I'm now not a believer. No, what he's talking about here is patterned behavior and lifestyle. Pa- what is the pattern of your life? What is typically true of you? And he says to us, if your tongue is unbridled, how many of us have ever ridden a horse? How many of you have ever ridden a horse that has no bridle? Yeah, one, and that's because he's experienced. Okay, and 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 how many times did you get thrown from that? Don't <laughs> Here's the issue: is is almost none of us wants to ride a horse with no bridle. Why? You have no control over that animal. You are at its mercy. And so in the same way, the bridle was used. This is interesting because we see it explained. The bridle is used a small bit controlling a large animal. Why? Because it's controlling, physically, it's controlling the mouth, which we know is at that front controlling the neck. Spiritually, that tongue, boy, that tongue is the center of what you're thinking and what you're feeling and what's happening, how many people have lost their life because they could not bridle that tongue? How many people have lost jobs because they couldn't bridle that tongue? How many people have messed up their education, keep getting kicked out of classes because you can't bridle that tongue? How many people have messed up relationships because you can't bridle that tongue? And the reason you can't bridle it is because it's just not this organ by itself It's attached to your heart. Who you are becomes what you say. And so he says to you, understand, it's a fruit of the spirit. What is self-control? See, it is an indicator that the spirit is at work in your life when you can control yourself. But understand It is hard to control yourself without, and really, I would say impossible, to fully control the human life without the help of the Spirit of God, which is why we say to folk, you need Jesus. It's a true statement, because in order for you to live in the way that God intends, y'all need Jesus. If there's ever a turn to somebody and say, it's this one, y'all need Jesus. Because I need them too. Why? Because it is only by the work of Jesus in your life and on your heart that you will say the things that God wants you to say. And here's a sign of maturity is that you begin to bridle more and more. You know in your life there were times where you would say, boy, if that happened to me five years ago, you would have got a different me. If I was like, if, 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 if Christ was not in control of my life and you did what you just did, what you would have got was something different. See, the issue is who you are many times is represented by how you communicate. And you have to be careful. Now, does that mean that you don't say things that are tough to hear? No, it doesn't mean that at all. That I always say things that are flowery and nice? No, it's not. But what he is saying is that it's the bridling, it's the controlling, it is the using it for purposes. When that horse is bridled, man, you can do some awesome things with that animal. 
or with that ox or with that mule. When that animal is bridled well, you know what? With that ox, you know, have an unbridled ox and you better be behind it, way behind it. But you bridle that ox and you can plow a field. You can get a farm ready to grow some things. You have a horse unbridled. It's great to look at in the movie or as it's running around. But if you bridle that horse, boy, you can accomplish some amazing things. You can pull. You can ride. You can go on great trips. What can you do with a bridled tongue? Man, unbridled, you can destroy some things. You can destroy a child. Unbridled. You can wreck a marriage. Unbridled, you can set, even as scripture says, you can set the world on fire. Unbridled. What do you do with it bridled? Man, you can really encourage someone. You can set someone up for success. You can help someone move from infancy to maturity with that same tongue, bridled. What is it bridled by? The Spirit of God. What is it bridled by? A life clung and hung into Christ. Understand the tongue from an unbridled heart, which means Christ is not in control, will have an uncontrolled life. So here's what he says to you. He says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, you're deceiving yourself. This person's religion is, and here's the word, worthless. It's of no value. Your, religi your religiosity means nothing. You're just talking. And I love this. He says it's worthless. It means nothing to you and to those you deal with. And then he gets into <laughs> the next one. The one is the negative, And then he gets into the positives. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. Now, it's not only this, but it includes these two things. Is this. Number one, and I love this because this is not what we think. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Understand, that second one, I control my tongue and then I have compassion for the helpless in their helplessness. Look at what he says. The person that has truly been changed by God will have. You don't have to conjure it up. You don't have to work it up. God, give me compassion for the poor. God says you will have. Why? Because, number one, the work that he's done in your life. I know we think we all that, but the poverty we came from, and I'm not even talking about physical poverty. I'm talking about the spiritual poverty that you came from. We were all dead on our way to hell. And Christ came in, and he saved us and brought us up. Our poverty was one we could never buy ourselves out of. And he had compassion on you and I. And the person that looks arrogantly, the person that looks in a haughty and prideful manner, saying, if you would just be like me, you could get it together. That may be coming from a heart that doesn't know Christ. Or that may be coming from a heart that forgets what Christ has done for them. Or that may be coming from a heart that really doesn't understand the heart of Christ. It says the first thing that he mentions, although the second one is where that first one really comes from. 
the first he says, look, is that you are someone that has compassion. I said a while back when I talked about that, the quartet back in the scriptures, this is two of the quartet of the, of the helpless. I'm talking about the orphans and widows. Those were the two most vulnerable people in their society because they didn't have voices and they didn't have people to speak up for them. The orphan, because the child did not have a voice of their own. And they didn't have parents to speak up for them. And so in a society where the child is at the lowest rung and to not have anyone to speak up for them, they could be trampled over and were regularly. And so he says, you are looking, and so today it could be orphans, but it could also be who are the most vulnerable and the ones without voice that no one is standing up and speaking for them. The one who has been changed by Christ, who is truly religious, you seek them out, you go after them, and you try to help. How? However God has enabled you to. And everyone isn't the same. We all are not going to do the same thing. But he says that we all should be doing something, although we all don't have to be doing the same thing. And so he says, here's what you will do. You will look out for. He says that visit, and see, we think visit means let me come and see you in the home, and I'll come by and say hello. We don't understand that word visit. That word visit actually means you come to with the intent of helping you know see in our term paying a visit means i saw you i came and i saw you i said hello how you doing i paid you a visit and then i went about my way i asked no questions about you i didn't want to know anything in depth as a matter of fact i made sure i kept the questions short because i didn't want them to unveil something that i may have to help them with I didn't come with the intent to help. I just came with the intent so you know that I came to visit you. There's another meaning of that word that is believed that it was one who sought out justice for the individual that you met. And so the visiting was intentional and with purpose. I came to do something specifically when I came to those that were the most vulnerable. So he says, if your religion is pure and undefiled, one of the things that you will do, you will have compassion for the helpless. And that compassion will move you to do something. That compassion is what wells up, and it is this, it is this, it is this desire in your heart. And maybe it's hurting because you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is happening. Lord, wh wh why doesn't someone do something about this? Let me give you just a little tip. If you start thinking and your heart starts being burned for Lord, why doesn't someone do something about this? You're probably the one that the Lord is saying, do something about this. See, we, we like to look around and say, oh, my gosh, somebody help them. God's like, you the moment the concern? Go over and help. But I don't know how. Why don't you start by showing up? Why don't you start by being present? Why don't you start by being around? And then you begin to learn how I can help, how I can bring resources. And I love this. And, and you just being there may be the help 
that the person needs. So he says, true religion, control of the tongue, because it's attached to, to the heart, compassion for the helpless, because it comes from the heart. See, this is not a compassion that you just thought up. When you're in Christ and you meet those that are vulnerable and in need, the passion and the compassion of the Lord will well up in you in some way or another. If the first thing that comes out of your mouth, I mean, out of your mind or into your mind, rather, and into your heart is judgment of the person there, I want you to check yourself and pray. If the first thing that comes up is nasty people, that's a different sign he's not in there. Because I see you wouldn't have been in that mess if you were in there. And see, you know what? See, that's what happens when is if that's your first because think about when Jesus looked over and he said he had compassion. When he saw him, those that were wailing over the death, and he said he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. He could have said, see, Jews, had you realized who's standing in front of you, see, Jewish folk, if you had just believed the word. Now, he had that talk for some. And understand that when you look at the difference, let me just real quick. When you look at the difference between John chapter 3, Jesus with the woman at the, I'm sorry, John chapter 3, Jesus with Nicodemus, and John chapter 4, Jesus with the woman at the well, you see two different, seemingly two different Jesuses. You actually see the same one. But his dealing with the one who should have known because he had the word, because he had the scriptures because he had the prophecies because he had it all in front of them and yet that man chose not to believe Nicodemus what you get is a harsh rebuttal Jesus was hard on Nicodemus when you read chapter 3 he ripped him up down sideways you call you you're a teacher of Israel and you don't know this those were hard words he was like, hold on a second, hold on a second. He, he was like, think of this. How are you, someone that teaches these folk what they should know and you don't know this? What he was telling them is you're an incompetent teacher. That's what he was telling them. You don't know your stuff. But then he goes into chapter 4, and he meets the woman at the well. You know, and he says to her, give me something to drink. Now, understand, he already knows her background. Married multiple times, the one you're with right now isn't even your husband, which is really unheard of back in that time. You were living out of marriage at a time where marriage was critically a high value. You're coming at the well at a time where no one else is because you're ashamed. And, and, and the only time is after he reveals himself. He deals with her gently. Look at the difference. He sees this woman come to the well knowing that she doesn't want to be seen. And he lets her know, I see you. And I understand where you are. I'm calling you out of your sin because he tells her, go and sin no more. You know, he tells her to, it, to change your life. But do you see the difference in the tone? See, the issue was for you and I. When we have the word and we don't allow it to change us, thus we don't control our tongue and we don't have compassion for those that are helpless, we are we are very much unlike Christ at that time. You want to see 
um, the lack of Christ-likeness, you're seeing it right here. And then the last one, which I like to say is the most critical, control of the tongue, compassion for the helpless. And the last one is that you are contrary or that you avoid worldly living. It says, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Here's the deal with it. Holy living is critical because you are living under and for a holy God. How is it that the trait of the father is not passed to the children? What do I mean? If I say I'm God's child, yet I live in an unholy manner, how can I really say I'm from God or God is my father? I'm not bearing the trait, the DNA of my daddy. And see, we all have traits of our parents. But there's that one trait that may make you whatever your family name is. Folk would come up, and it's interesting, folk would see my sisters when we were growing up, and they would say, it, it was interesting, mother's name was um, Carrie, and they would say to her, oh, Lord, you must be Carrie's girls. Because I can see it in, and they would just rattle off. You know, or they would say, yeah, that boy looks like a costume because he is, and they would rattle it off. Well, let me ask you, when they see us, does our purity say, yeah, you look like a child of God? You live like the Father. Or are they shocked when you say, I'm a Christian? Some of us get slick. We don't even say, I'm a Christian. We say, I go to church. And my response to that was, you still didn't answer my question. Are you a Christian? Because you ought to know there are quite a few non-Christians going to church. See, the issue is just because you go to church doesn't make you a Christian. And so the issue becomes now is uh, this holiness and keeping yourself unstained in a pattern way doesn't mean you don't sin. No, it doesn't. But when you do, you know what to do to get your stain out. And the unstained means you don't allow anything to permanently mark you from the world. But here's what I like. Reading that, 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 you help, that, that you come to the aid of the helpless, means that you are dealing with the ills of society, right? You are dealing with those things that are the effects of sin on our world. But then that next statement that you are untainted by the world means that although you are dealing with those ills of society, you are not, over, you are not overcome and stained by the ills of society. There's a difference. See, the difference, I may help you in your sin or what you may be dealing with or what may have led to your poverty, but I do it in such a way that I don't now fall into it. I may help you with your gossiping, but I don't become a gossip. I may help you come out of sexual promiscuity, but I don't myself fall into it. You heard me say um, a few years ago when we were dealing with Life Center down there on 30th and Lafayette, and I said this before, I'll say it over and over again. I asked one of the staff there, how can we pray for you? What can we do? And here's what she said. She said, Pastor, I know solid word is a place that teaches the word of God. And she said, can my prayer 
that you pray is that you continue to teach God's word. I said, that's an interesting request for Life Center. I said, why do you ask that as a prayer request? She said, you don't know the number of women that come in here wanting to help the women we help that are living dirty lives. She said, I know they're doing the same thing that these women who are getting pregnant are doing. They're just not getting pregnant. I know they're going to the same places that these women are going that they should not be. They're just not getting caught. And I was like, wow. So hold on a second. So you're telling me your prayer is that we keep preaching the word so that folk would start living holy lives. Yes. And so the issue becomes, here's what's even dangerous. We can begin to help those that are outside of Christ. And be like ourselves, living like we're outside of Christ. That's dangerous. I'm living like I'm not belonging to Christ, and I'm trying to help you to live for Christ. Not only is that crazy, not only does that make sense, it's dangerous because, as Paul would say, you're deceiving yourself. You think you're okay, and you're not. And so I ask the question, do you have religion. Does it show by the way you control your tongue or you allow the spirit of God to control your tongue? Does it show by the compassion that you have for those that need it? It says in their distress. I love it. You don't just have compassion for the group. You have compassion specifically for people that need it. And then lastly, you don't allow worldliness to become the pattern of your life. You allow holiness to be the pattern. You value holiness high. And those three things, boy, will help you to say, yes, I'm religious. Have you got true religion? I know that's jeans right now that cost you an arm and a leg. True religion. But those jeans don't mean nothing about your life. I know you may be devout in what you do, but from what kind of heart does it come? My prayer today is that we are truly religious in the eyes of the Father. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much, God, that you have shown us ourselves in the mirror of your word, God, about what it means to be truly religious. Father, we can deceive ourselves. And I thank you, Lord, that you have allowed us to see the truth. God, in one area of our lives, Lord, that I pray that you would help us to not be those that are deceiving. Father, but instead we, are be, we would be those that represent you truly and accurately. Father, that you would help us to allow you to, to, to bridle our tongue because you have our heart to help those that are in need because you have our heart. And, Father, to live holy, pure in your eyes because you have our heart. I pray, God, that that would be said of us in the name of Jesus. Amen. This morning, um, as we get ready to close, I do pray that you've been blessed by the word. But not only that, that you take some time and reflect on it. Those at times can be harsh things to hear. But God does that so that we can lean in to where he wants us to be and who he wants us to be. But this morning, if you sit here and you know Christ, 
and you heard some things that God is pointing to in your life, take some time, pray through them, read through the word again with him, and let the Lord work on what he wants you to do and how he wants you to be. But if you heard this and you do not know him and you say, I, I, I don't have a relationship, you can. And if you're watching my live stream, if you've, if, if you've not made that choice and that decision to follow Christ, you can today. And it's something as simple as realizing who Jesus is. He is man's only hope for salvation because he's God's only provision for our sins. And as you confess that, as you repent of your sins, that we were all born in, and that you now receive Christ as the only answer, you will start on a journey that will be amazing. Yes, it will still have trials and tribulations, but now Christ is in you, and you can deal with it. And so this morning, if that is you, if you've made that decision, just let us know that there'll be some information for those that are watching on the screen. I would love for you to give us a call, or you can talk to me um, after service, and we'd love to be able to have a conversation with you.